Welcome to the Strange and Interesting Podcast, a show about folklore, the paranormal, urban legends, and pretty much anything else that I happen to find strange and interesting. Now, today's topic is more along the lines of the interesting as opposed to the strange, though I'm sure my guest today might have some stories, maybe it borders on strange at times. (laughs) Sometimes, yes, definitely. So my guest today is uh, my friend Tracy, and you've if you've listened to some of my recent episodes of the Creepy Pasta Theater podcast, you might recognize her voice as she has done a few recordings with me. So how are you doing this morning, Tracy? Doing great. How are you? Oh, not too bad. So uh, why don't we start by introduce yourself if you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into today's topic. Sure. My name is Tracy and I am a game designer. My company is called Mad Men and Heroes and I make escape room style games um, that I mail to your house. And it's a lot of fun. It's definitely a left turn in my career path. And I have previously, I I worked in construction for about 20 years, uh, but my long ago past was in theater and I have a degree in stage management and I worked in theater for about 10 years as a professional stage manager. So that's kind of my background. That's cool because, I mean, I know that, of course, they offer degrees in, you know, theater and acting, but I didn't know there was a specific or there were specific degrees in actually stage management. So how how does that work? What kind of things does a stage manager do? Well, a stage manager is the person that runs the show. You call the cues, which means you tell the lighting people and the sound people and everybody else who's working uh, when to go ahead and do whatever it is they're supposed to do next. And so everybody's on a headset and you just, as the show proceeds, you tell people, okay, you're going to, you know, next cue and you tell them to go. So generally make sure that everything is set up before the show, that everything's cleaned up after the show and you help people in the rehearsal process, learn their lines and their blocking and where they're supposed to go and that sort of thing. So that's really what a stage manager does. I imagine there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes of uh, any sort of theater production. I've never really done any plays. Well, unless you count like the campfire skits we did at when I worked at a Boy Scout camp. But (laughs) um, I mean, my most of my experience with that kind of stuff is back when I was in college, I had some friends that were in the radio TV film program. And I did a little bit of acting in some of their uh, some student projects, but Nothing that you're probably going to see on the big screen uh, anytime soon, at least to my knowledge. Yeah, I mean, it's a little different with theater because, of course, things can't stop. You can't redo anything. And so everything has to keep flowing. Even if mistakes are made or accidents happen, you've got to figure out how to just keep plowing through. So it's a slightly different feel than the film work. Yeah, one of my uh, friends from back in college actually did do a little bit of theater and plays. And you know, she told me a story about how this was a play she did in high school and she had forgot her lines. And one of her actors in the scene had to improvise on the spot in order to kind of get things back on track. And she felt really dumb afterwards, but you know, she said it actually ended up turning out uh, pretty good. And I don't think the audience noticed. 
Yeah, that's the thing when, you know, mistakes are made or something happens that's unexpected. You have to remember that nobody in the audience knows what's supposed to happen. So it doesn't look like a mistake to them if you can just recover and keep going. The topic today, we're going to specifically be discussing stage combat, because when we were talking um, after recording a podcast, you had mentioned where you were certified in a couple different types of stage combat, which I thought you know, it was really cool because, I mean, I'm used to seeing, you know, of course, fight choreography in movies or TV shows, and it's something that I don't really know anything about. And I imagine that when you're doing it in a live theater setting, then it takes on a whole different level because, as you mentioned, you have, you're live. It's not like right. if you're recording a TV show or a movie where... If someone makes a mistake, you can go back and edit that out. Whereas, well, if you're doing it on live in front of people, you have to just go with the flow. Right, right. And it also is different in the way that with when you're filming, of course, you can come from different angles and you can, you know, take close ups and do, you know, wide shots but when you're in a theater, you have the audience, you might have an audience in the round, or you might just have it from one side. And so you everything has to be staged accordingly from that particular viewpoint. Something that I think we don't think about, because when you mentioned like you can do like the close-ups and wide shots, for some reason that brought to mind um, the fight scene between Palpatine and Mace Windu in Revenge of the Sith. You did have a lot of close-ups because, you know, you're trying to convey the emotion that is going through both of the combatants during the fight. Right. It was critical to get those close-up shots, but then you also wanted to do the wide shots to show a little bit more of the, you know, the action. And what I learned from my friends I hung out with, I know they get into all sorts of other shots, like the high-angle shots and the low-angle shots and how they can all really impact the mood or feel of a scene, but... Yeah, when you're doing it on the stage, well, you don't have those luxuries. Yeah, exactly. Because there are a lot of different ways. If, if say, for example, you're throwing a punch, you know, you're not actually punching the other person, but it has to look realistic as if you are. And it also has to sound realistic. And so when you're doing it in a film, they can put in sound effects. But when you're doing it on stage, it doesn't work that way. You have to actually make the sound effects yourself. So if I'm going to throw a, a punch, say, a, a cross cut. So I start with my right hand and I go across. So I, I would be punching the person from their left to right and my right to left. But I have to make a noise at the moment that it would have been an impact. And so... I have to either I would hit myself on the chest and, and make a noise like or I would hit myself on the thigh. And, and so you have to coordinate those movements. So as you're throwing the punch, you're hitting yourself at the exact moment where the other actor is you know, turning their head as if they had just been punched. And all of that has to be from an audience point of view, looking like I actually punched him. So they can't see me hitting my chest or my leg. They can't see that I actually miss when I throw a punch. And the actor who's being punched has to make an appropriate vocalization because if say you get hit in the face, then it 
turns out it, if you grunt or you groan or anything, it, it's very muffled because of the action that's happening to your face at the time. So in a way, it's kind of like professional wrestling where one of the tricks of the trades there is they do the same thing you mentioned where they'll like sometimes slap their thigh or, or their chest. But another popular thing they'll do is like if they're punching someone, they'll stomp on the mat in order to make that sound to emphasize that, hey, I'm I'm hitting somebody here. Yeah, I, I think professional wrestling is hard in a lot of ways because that is in the round. So it's people on, you know, every direction. And it it seems to me that they do actually take a little bit more of a beating than would, you know, an actor in a stage choreographed fight scene. I, I think that a lot of that the jumping and the falling is that's got to be really rough. Oh, yeah, I've uh, I've known a couple people who were involved in one of the local federations and heard stories there. And a, a friend of mine read one of Mick Foley's biographies, and he often mentioned that there were three different types of wrestling moves. There's wrestling moves that look like they hurt, but they don't. There's moves that look like they're they don't hurt, but they do. And then there's ones that look like they're not really that bad, but they hurt like hell. <laughs> yeah, I I think, I mean, I have definitely sustained injury because there's never any, you know, leeway to be like, uh, you know, getting a bruise is okay. It's it's not, it's really not. But when you are doing the, the, the scene, it's, emotions get heightened even though your own you know your partner your the your opponent on stage is really your partner and it's it's very much like a dance but you are you know throwing punches or slinging swords or whatever you're doing and so you do, emotions do get heightened and it's easy to you know make just a small misstep and i i remember i was in a show called bloody bess and in that show, I got killed and I had to fall onto a small stairway. And I just sort of didn't get it quite right. And, and when you fall, you're always trained to kind of fall on the meteor parts of your body. And I was just twisted a little too much and my shin connected with the corner of one of the steps. And oh man, that bruise. It was a big audience. They were really into it. Emotions were really high because they, their energy was really high. And it just was the, the tiniest little fraction of an inch that I was off. And it, <laughs> I suffered with that for a while. It's interesting that you mentioned the emotions can run high because I, at least what I've heard is from people who've uh, actually done acting is part of the trick of acting is really getting into your character. And Maybe for some people, it's if they are playing someone who is a you know a violent person and they're getting in this fight, some of that might come out and they might actually lose a little bit of control. But you know, and to draw another parallel with professional wrestling, I can imagine it's interesting because uh, you know, you're in a stage production, you're working with someone you don't want to hurt them, but I'm sure there have been times in the professional wrestling world where they probably wanted to try to hurt each other. <laughs> I mean, I've heard uh, stories about how in professional wrestling that, you know, some of the people who look like they get along or they look like they're friends in the ring actually couldn't stand each other backstage. But on mm -hmm. the other hand, you could have wrestlers who 
we're engaging in this long and bitter feud, but behind the scenes, you know, back in the locker room, they were playing chess together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that as far as the stage combat goes, it is highly choreographed and highly rehearsed. Certainly there are actors that don't get along and they, you know, don't like each other and all that kind of thing. But for the most part, I think that there is a certain camaraderie that builds during the course of rehearsal. And so it's, you you have to work together when, you know, particularly if you're doing something like fighting with a sword or a rapier and dagger, because like I said, people get hurt. So you have to really focus and connect with your partner. And I think that that brings people closer together. So I, I find that most people in most of the casts that I've ever worked with, cast and crew, have have gotten along really well because it's it's a bonding experience. And you show up, and typically you, you're meeting people for the first time when you know you get together for that first rehearsal, and so you and you start to work together on something and you're you're you know talking about lines you're talking about staging and and so you don't have all that much time to bond in a negative way it, it's like you're doing the work together and that's how you know each other and that's your experience as everybody's trying their hardest to get it right so what got you interested in learning how to study stage combat and how to become a stage combat instructor well the first time that I ever was introduced to stage combat, I was in high school. And uh, we had a really great theater program in the town that I grew up in. And they brought in a stage combat instructor just to do a workshop. We had a, a program that would happen every year. It was called Focus on the Arts. And for three or four days, the all classes were canceled. And all day long, you had multiple opportunities to go to different workshops that had to do with the arts. So you might go to a pottery class or you might go to, you know, a drum demonstration or what have you. So I took the workshop for stage combat and thought it was really fascinating. And it it had never occurred to me that it had to be choreographed as it was. And so... By the time I got to college, I was majoring in theater, and the same person that had come to teach that workshop was the stage combat instructor. And so I was really excited about that. So I started taking combat, and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah, my high school never did anything like that. I mean, I think back in the day, if they ever offered something where you could do stage combat, even though I wasn't in, like, the drama club in high school... It is something I was interested in, mostly just from my experience playing Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games. So it's like, hey, my character knows how to use a sword. Now, if I could go learn how to use a sword. So what types of weapons have you studied when you were training to become a stage combat instructor? The work that I've done is more in the lines of being a a lead combat on shows. And so it's really making sure that people have fights than than you uh, think. Uh, Make sure that people are properly warmed up, they are properly trained, they have rehearsed sufficiently. 
so it, it's more of a, a lead role than an instructor role, although I have done choreography, um, but it's been in, you know, actual theater, not just in a, a classroom setting. So the different fight styles that I've studied, I've studied small sword, broadsword, rapier and dagger, hand to hand, uh, and pike. Oh, cool. Um, so with the, now with broadsword and small sword, I'm sure like a lot of role-playing game fans, you know, I, we always have our own definitions of that. What is the technical term for the difference between like a small sword and a broadsword? Cause if I'm thinking of it from Dungeons and Dragons perspective, I would usually think like long sword, short sword, but I know that technically those aren't the historical, historically correct terms for them. What would be an example of a broadsword or a small sword? Well, a broadsword is much bigger than a small sword. Basically, a broadsword is a sword you're going to hold with both hands and manipulate that way. You can do some moves, some defensive moves with one hand, but it's really mostly a weapon that you use both hands. And a small sword would not be that. It would be, you know, a one-handed sword. Then a rapier is what you would think of when you see people fencing. And so that is most often in stage combat, it's used with the rapier in your dominant hand and dagger in your other hand. So that's that's kind of the difference between those. Okay, that's interesting because, yeah, usually uh, when I think broadsword, I'm thinking of usually a one-handed sword. So I didn't know they would classify a broadsword as technically one that you would be using with both hands. Well, broadswords are big and they're heavy. So <laughs> it's <laughs> it's just a practical matter. So when you were studying these different types of weapons, was there a specific weapon that you enjoyed working with or uh, did you have a favorite uh, weapon that you liked using? I think that I really do like rapier and dagger best because it's fun because with the broadsword, both of your hands are doing the same thing at the same time. And with the small sword, it's a, a, there's a little bit of, you know, sort of intimacy because you, you do have to get close. With the rapier and dagger, you can sort of move in and out, you know, away to and from your uh, partner. So I think that it, and, and you're doing different things with both hands. You know, I can be blocking a rapier with one hand and thrusting with the other hand. Uh, so, and I'm making all of these movements as I'm saying this, <laughs> but um, it, it I, I just think it's more varied. And so it's more interesting. Um, and, and I do like hand-to-hand combat quite a bit as well. And that's a good point with like the, doing like a rapier and dagger scene. Uh, Cause when you are, uh, using two weapons, I know there's some people that say, oh, it's, it's totally ineffective and it wouldn't really work in a real fight. But I mean, I know that there have been fencing manuals that taught techniques about using, you know, a rapier and a dagger because, right. Right. you know, it gives you the, and what I like about two weapon fighting is it does give you offensive and defensive options. Right. You know, how, if you're, you, you could use the, usually use the weapon in your non-dominant hand as sort of a makeshift shield, but occasionally you can kind of get in and take those little attacks of opportunity. I wasn't a live action role-playing game post for a few years. So that's where I got some of that experience. Got it. 
you mentioned it's a little different animal with like a broadsword since you have you're using the weapon with both hands. Do you find that's just more limiting and what you can do with the with your your movements and how the fight scene might be developed? Yeah, I think that there there are very limited options for moving in close to each other. You you know, if you cross your swords and they slide them together, then you're going to get close. But other than that, you're standing pretty far away and taking big sweeping movements. And which is one of the reasons that you hold it with both hands. There's lots of people that it would be just fine to hold it with one hand. They're strong enough. They've got enough movement. But it looks really odd to have this big sword and swinging it around with with one hand. And so because you are making really sweeping movements because the sword is so long. And so that's kind of, I, I think, that it limits the different ways in which you can move your body because you are even if you're thrusting it, it's all sort of straight ahead there's no you know real art I mean there's art to it but it, it's it, it's definitely bigger movements that look like you're throwing around a, a lot of weight and I can imagine choreographing something with uh, like a pike or a spear or a pole arm could be challenging as well because you know at least with the pike primarily you're just thrusting straight forward and if you're talking about pole arms like a halibird or uh, the japanese one uh, nagatana it's like the staff that has like a, a short sword blade at the end of it where those you're doing more slashing movements which i'm sure that's something you have to keep in mind when you're doing a stage combat fight is you know what's going on around you and if you've got these larger weapons like a you know, a pole arm or a two-handed sword, you really have to be conscious or you really have to be aware of the space around you so you're not, you know, hitting another actor or hitting a piece of the the scenery. Right, yeah. If you're in a, a fight scene where there are multiple actors in multiple different fights, it's really hard with, say, a pike because you don't have the space to swing that thing around. And so in that kind of scene, as opposed to having the whole stage to just a, a couple of actors, you're not making big, you know, you're not swinging the pike. You're, you might do some stabbing motions, but a lot of it would be two-handed and crossing the pikes and hitting the pikes against each other because you just don't have the room around you. And it's, you know, it, it, you have to be paying attention in that kind of scene. If you're fighting and there are multiple other groups of people fighting around you, you have to really be watching your partner's back because if they start to get too close, you know, backing up toward a scene and they don't realize it, somebody can get hurt. And so what happens when you're fighting with your partner? Um, as we were saying earlier, a lot of times emotions rise and people forget they, they just, they, and it's called going up. You go up on a line. It means you forget what you're going to do. So if someone goes up in a fight scene, you, you have to continually throughout the fight, be looking into your partner's eyes and making sure that you're getting a yes. So you'll do a sequence of three or four moves, pull back a little, look them in the eye. And, and if they're like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing next, they, you know, you communicate that with your eyes. And so <clears throat> say I'm fighting someone, we stop and I see that look in their eye, like I have no idea what I'm supposed to do next. 
what you would do in that point, if I'm holding my sword, I would sort of, if they're supposed to slash, say, at my thigh, right, I would gently tap my thigh to say, here's where you're going next. And that is usually enough to get someone like back into the sequence that comes next because it, it most of stage combat is rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing. So you get it into your body memory. And so if they forget what, what happens now, you, they can do one move and it'll get them right back into the fight. So you have to be always watching everything around you, which is one of the things that makes it hard to do well. Usually you're not memorizing the entire sequence. It's more breaking it down into several small, smaller sets of moves. Yes. Yeah. When, when you rehearse, when you start to rehearse, you'll just do the first, you know, three or four or five moves and you'll do that over and over and over. Then you rehearse the next part and you do that over and over and over. Then you string the two of them together and you build on it that way. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you always know the first part of the fight best because you do that the most. Have you ever had a situation where you just totally had to wing it or? No, that, that does not happen because, um, and in, in that case, if my partner was unprepared or, you know, just sort of completely forgot what was going on, I would end the fight before there was any, it, it just, you, you can't do that because nobody knows what's coming next in that case. So you wouldn't be able to properly block. You wouldn't, you know, it, it would just be too dangerous. You mentioned you've also done uh, choreography for unarmed combat. Uh, and, you, and you mentioned one of the things you usually would have to do, like, you know, make it sound like you actually connected. And of course, the person that gets hit has to make it convincingly look like they were hit. What are some other things that actors need to keep in mind when they're doing unarmed combat? Well, for unarmed combat, again, it's all about the audience perspective and what it looks like. So there are certain instances in which you do connect. Typically a slap will be one that you connect with. And in the case of a slap, what you have to remember again is you're you're going for the fleshier parts of the body. Because if you clip someone on either their cheekbone or their jaw, it, it can lead to a bruise pretty easily. And so you have to remember that. Also, when you're doing any form of, you know, close physical combat, you want to make sure that, so in the case of a punch, say, if I'm going to punch someone, typically there'll be some movement right before the punch where I'll be like threatening by pointing at them. And in the pointing at them, what I know is that I am not close enough to connect. And that's why you make the, the thrusting motion or the pointing motion or you sweep your arm in their general direction. So you know you're close, but you're not close enough that the furthest reach that you have with your fist won't get to them. And so and, and if you are closer than that, you know, to you know, take a step back and then you can throw the punch. So it's about that, you know, making sure the spacing is correct. And it's the same with you know, a, a sword jab, or you're either, if you're close enough to get to someone, you punch or, you know, to the side of them, or if you're going to do something like an uppercut, 
<clears throat> where you can't really punch to the side of them and you have to be coming up from under, then you make sure that you are positioned such that not only will you not reach them, but the audience won't be able to tell that you can't reach them. So the, the worst thing is if you have to throw a punch and they can see that, you know, you're six inches away from their face when, when your hand moves by. So what you mentioned while training, one of the things you always have to do is make sure everyone's stretched out, warmed up. What are some other things that you do when you're training or getting ready to choreograph a fight scene? When, when you're training, you do the basic movements over and over and over again. You know, when you're studying how to fight, you're doing all of the defensive poses that you can do and a lot of different ways that you can block someone slashing at you with a sword, right? You can, if it's coming from your left side, you can do it with the sword facing up. You can do it with the sword facing down. And so you have to get your body really good at doing all of those different movements. So when you get your choreography, it's you already know how to do each movement. You just have to string them together and memorize them. And so when you're choreographing, you have to understand what the scene is about and what the characters are like in order to know what the right movements are for those characters. And you have to know, you know, is it serious? Is it a serious show? Is it a funny show? It's it's like choreographing dance. It has to make sense for the show. So if you have this character that always portrays himself as being this refined, elegant, upper-class man, you know, he's probably going to have a very different fighting style than a character who's supposed to be just a little better than a street thug. Right, right. And there are also different styles of fighting. If you're using rapier and dagger, you can use a French style of fighting, which is the body is much more upright and there are certain rules in how you can move your sword that you would follow as opposed to like an Italian style of fighting where you can crouch over, you can, you know, make the the targets on your body smaller, you, you can flail your sword around, you know, and so there, there are, it's not only character style, but it is also where would those characters, where and when would those characters be fighting and how would they have learned how to fight? So you mentioned before that you did act in one fight scene in a play where you had a little uh, unfortunate accident where you stumbled and hit the stair the wrong way. Have you done any acting in any other fight scenes? Uh, yeah, I've done a lot of individual fights. That that was a large fight. That, that show that I mentioned, Bloody Bess, is really a fight show. It was written to have fighting and the, the, the storyline and all the dialogue is really just sort of there to serve up the fights. So that was a, a big scene with lots of people fighting on a pirate ship. But yeah, there's lots of shows that have a slap or, you know, sort of a, a tussle. And, and so I've done much more fighting that way than in big fight scenes. Although a fight show is a lot of fun if you're at all into stage combat. It's, it, just, it, it just goes on and on and it keeps being more and more fun. I imagine doing a, a play about pirates where, yeah, there's a lot of sword fighting and, you know, maybe some fisticuffs. What 
does sound like actually would be a pretty good time. Yeah. And, and it's fun too, because those are really fun costumes and it's rollicking and swashbuckling. A lot of times fight stuff can be emotional in a dark way. If it is something like a rape scene or there are a lot of different ways in which fighting is you know, needed to be delivered. And so there's a very different feel for something that is more serious. And a lot of times it can be shocking because if you're not expecting someone to get, you know, knifed in the stomach or what have you. And so that's kinds of things can be hard to do because you know it's going to be upsetting and you have to, you know, sort of maintain how the character would feel without really, you know, getting too caught up in it. Because again, you have to be paying attention. If I'm going to, you know, knife someone and I have to know exactly the right point to be going straight in with the knife and I have to know the right point to be able to turn my hand. So it's my fist that gets to their stomach and not, you know, the knife. And so you have to be aware of what you're doing and be in control of yourself. And the other thing that you have to do is you have to get in to be in pretty good shape because what happens, you do this big physical thing. You're swinging a sword around. You, it goes on for five minutes. You're jumping upstairs and you know over a couch or whatever. And then at the as soon as it's over, you have to start talking again. So you can't really be out of breath. So that's the other part of training that you, you really need to do is you, you've got to be in fairly decent shape, no matter what your body type is, because you have to, you have to say stuff. And if you die in a scene, you have to look dead. And so if you're laying there for another 10 minutes on stage dead, you can't be like, you know, gasping <laughs> and visibly moving because you're dead. So yeah, I, I suppose if you had a, a dead actor lying there, as you said, like <laughs> that would probably take away the, uh, that probably take away the illusion uh, quite a bit. Yeah. It breaks the fourth wall. So <laughs> But yeah, you definitely make a very good point Um, because when I used to study martial arts, it's like, yeah, you get in the sparring sessions and they're, yeah, they're, they can be physically demanding, Um, especially when you're fighting someone that's in much, much better physical condition than, than you are. So. Right, right. so what are some of the fights that you've choreographed? Uh, well, I was the fight captain on a show that ran for about a year called Sylvia's Real Good Advice. And so I worked on that with the director and that was smaller, you know, like more slaps and stuff like that. But uh, that was a very lighthearted kind of show. So that one was was pretty easy and, and it was very dance-like. Um, and and I, I think all of stage combat is dance-like, but it's very it it was very sort of refined and and easy to tell that there was no real you know combat happening there's no real um so that i think was probably my favorite i'm trying to think of other shows that i've worked where 
now I'm going up on my lines. Uh, <laughs> now with the people who actually teach stage combat, would you say that some of them are more in are more just into like making movements that look good? Or are there any that are actually legitimately skilled sword fighters or hand-to-hand combatants? Well, I, I think that fighting for real is a very different skill set than fighting for stage. So I I mean, it's certainly possible that the instructors are, but it's not something that would really be a necessary skill to have because you're almost doing the opposite of what it, you know, you're not trying to punch someone and connect and take them out. You're trying to not punch someone. And so it's it's just different in terms of how you train your body. So it wouldn't matter if they were, you know, great at fencing. It might help them develop the skills a lot more quickly, but I don't think that it it really is necessary at all. So some of the fight instructors uh, you've had, if you gave them an actual rapier and put them in a life or death battle, some of them might not necessarily do as well there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's just, it, you don't, you don't train for improvisation. So, you know, you, you, you train. So everybody knows, you know, down to the nth degree, what it is you're supposed to do next. I've heard that there have been situations where some actors, you know, who were doing movies that had a lot of uh, armed combat in it, you know, I actually did get legitimately good, like uh, Vigo Morganson, who played Aragon in uh, Lord of the Rings. He's actually supposed to be a really good sword fighter. And I one of the little behind the scenes I remember uh, from the Fellowship of the Ring movie, uh-huh. in, during the climactic battle at the end, there's that scene where the orc throws a dagger at him. And uh-huh. Vigo actually swats it away with the sword, and that was totally unscripted. The knife was actually supposed to, like, go more to his left but because of the the makeup the the actor's visibility was off so if he didn't react with enough speed he probably would have been hurt also the guys who played uh wesley and inigo mantoya in uh princess bride um carrie Hughes, i think is um yeah the guy did wesley and I don't remember the na- full name of the guy who played um, Inigo. I know his first name's Mandy. Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, both of them actually got really good as well. And I guess they their sword fighting schools that still show their duel as a you know as a way to train people. And I also thought it was interesting because they had their little dialogues where it's like, "Well, I bet you didn't expect me to use this against you," and "Well, I have to considering the terrain." And it's like, "Well, those were actually." I guess real fighters or real fight instructors. So I just thought that was a little interesting behind the scenes with, uh, with that movie. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite scenes. And interestingly, the uh, director of the theater program where I attended my undergrad was Mandy Patinkin's uncle. Wow. Yeah. Sheldon. So do you have any good stories from the times that you were either studying stage combat or any, memorable moments from any uh, stage fights you did? I I think that the interesting part for me 
in studying stage combat was the the kind of prepping that we had to do. So like a warm up would include a lot of like stretching your wrists in different directions. And it was stuff that I had never thought about doing um, when I was just, you know, working out or, you know, exercising. Um, because, you know, you do, you stand with your knees bent for a lot of the time and you, you stand in a particular stance, typically one leg will be in front and the other leg will be, you know, to the rear, but your, your feet are really more than shoulder width apart. So you can maintain your balance and that's hard on the legs after a while. Like you have to really, you know, get strong. And, and like I said, you have to have strong forearms and strong wrists. So I think that that's, that was really interesting to me when I started out of just the kinds of ways that I had to train my body. I think that I was very surprised when I learned about it's, it. We talked about this earlier, um, what's called a nap. And the nap is where you are hitting your body to make a sound as if you're punching. And I was surprised at all the different ways you can do it. You know, I said, you can hit your chest, you can hit your thigh. You can, if I'm going to throw a punch, I can put one hand up. And as I throw the punch, open my hands up and clap and, and then close my hand back up when it gets past the face. And I also learned a lot about vocalization. And so when you get punched, depending on where you punch, the sound that the actor who's getting punched makes is very different. If you get punched across the face, it's a very muffled sound because you're faces all mushed together. If you get punched in the stomach, it's a sound where you're exhaling, you know, so you're grunting, but you're also like, oh. And so just learning what, where different parts of the body get struck or grabbed or whatever of the different types of sound you have to make. And it's, it's a surprising variety of different ways that you can grunt. <laughs> Well, I think those are all the questions I have for now. So I'd certainly like to thank you for joining me, Tracy. And if people want to learn more about your game company or if they want to find you on social media, where are some places they can go? Uh, the game company you can find at madmenandheroes.com. And I'm on Facebook as Mad Men and Heroes. And you can also find me on Blue Sky if you're lucky enough to have gotten on there yet and Threads. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And until next time, stay strange, stay interesting. You have been listening to a presentation of Point of Insanity Game Studio. Visit us on the web at poigamestudio.com. Follow us on Twitter at poigamestudio. Look us up on Facebook and email us at poigamestudio at gmail.com.